Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. I was like, is my internet already busted? You know, between, nope, last, week, no, no, no. between last week where I had to be like, and I'm Micah, and this week now I have to go second. I'm just all messed up. <laughs> Poor Micah. On today's episode, we are going to do a deep dive into Slytherin House to discuss its history, legacy, and whether or not we think there can be a defense of Hogwarts's bad house. This is actually the first half of a two-part series where we defend the Hogwarts houses who catch the most flack in fandom. You can guess which house we are tackling next week. And to help us with today's discussion, we are joined by Tyler Starr. Tyler is a longtime member of the Harry Potter fandom. He is president of the Wizarding World-inspired animal rights nonprofit, the Protego Foundation, and co-host of the Chick Peeps podcast with actress Ivana Lynch. Hi, Tyler. Welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. So excited to be on my favorite Harry Potter podcast. Let's do this. Let's defend the best house. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is very nice of you. We appeared... On the Chick Peeps podcast mm-hmm. a few months back, it was an honor and so much fun. And ever since then, we've been itching to have Tyler on. Tyler's a huge, huge, huge Harry Potter fan. And uh, as you could tell, a friend of the show as well. And it was so great seeing you today because it's been a while since we've spoken. I so, know. We're so almost out of this pandemic, hopefully. Maybe we'll see. So hopefully, maybe. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and Eric, he was so disgusted with this idea of defending <laughs> Slytherin House that he had he wanted to abstain from the episode. So we were like, Tyler, come on in. Wow. I'm kidding about Eric. Eric didn't <laughs> Are feel you that sure? way. Not really. It was just just a coincidence that he couldn't make today's episode. Uh-huh. Does somebody need to sit out for the Hufflepuff? Yeah, I was going to say then? we should have flipped it on him. <laughs> Actually, Tyler, we're talking about Hufflepuff today. We didn't tell Eric. This is all oh, no. <laughs> nice. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> but Tyler, there's something else I wanted to bring up with you. Yeah, go. Uh, ever since speaking with you, I think on the Chick Peeps podcast, maybe that's where we initially heard this. Your favorite character in the Harry Potter series is Lord Voldemort. Yeah. Please explain. <laughs> I I don't know what it is, but I've just always been a fan of really well-written villains. And in my humble opinion, I know nothing about writing, but at least for me growing up, I've always found Voldemort to be a very compelling and kind of, um, I don't know, persuasive villain. Somebody who I I could be like, whoa, okay, I can see why some people would go with him. But I love Voldemort. I think his entire story, his backstory, how he was conceived, um, the, the emotions that he can and cannot feel. I think everything about him is just so well written. And that's also why Half-Life Prince is my favorite book, because that's where we dive into, uh, you know, Voldemort's history and, and everything about that. But in addition to that, I also find that if the entire Harry Potter series is based on the idea that love really is the most powerful magic we have, Voldemort fills that role as the key antagonist because his entire story and very existence gives us a peek into what that antithesis to that that whole message even is. So I re- I'm a big fan of the T Riddle, and uh, yeah, always will be <laughs> of the T Riddle. <laughs> I also have to observe that Tyler brought a wand to today's recording, and he's been brandishing it so far. Very nice touch. I think we need to do that. I don't know why we haven't. I can't believe y'all don't. (laughs) 
<laughs> it seems like a no-brainer for us. What have uh, we been thinking? And also, in case anybody didn't realize, Tyler isn't Slytherin House. That's another big reason why we wanted to have him here today. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, thank you for explaining that. Thank you for defending your love for uh, T. Riddle, That's as right. you call him. Can we just borrow that and use that moving forward? Yeah, please. T. Riddle. T. Riddle. Riddle. <laughs> Take it. My my small contribution to the to this, this wonderful go. show. So, Laura, you're going to lead us through today's discussion, actually, on Slytherin. That's right. Um, feels a little weird because I'm a Ravenclaw, but I like to think that Ravenclaws and Slytherins have quite a bit in common. Yep. Um, so I'm hoping that I do Slytherin House justice today. And I first wanted to say that I really love that we got to prime today's conversation with Tyler's take on why Voldemort is favorite character worthy. It's that level of nuance that I'm hoping we can carry into our main discussion about if we think there can be a defense of Slytherin House. And before we jump in, Micah, I was wondering if you could give us a reading from the Sorting Hat song in book one. Or perhaps in Slytherin, you'll make your real friends, those cunning folk, use any means to achieve their ends. Perfect. Thank you. Minus the British accent. Sorry. Yeah, that's that's all right. (laughs) You got the deep voice part right. That's the thing. I heard that there was some talk about having Micah maybe do ASMR. Nice. On another (laughs) podcast. Yeah, well, I would subscribe for that. (laughs) I think a lot of people would. (laughs) Um, But I do have a question for the panel about this passage. Do we feel this verse of the Sorting Song sets Slytherins up to seem bad from the outset? Or do we think that our interpretations as readers were already set because of meeting Draco Malfoy before this? Ooh. I think Draco definitely played a role. There aren't many opportunities to be told that there's a lot of good people within Slytherin. Mm -hmm. In terms of the word cunning, too, I think if you look at this just this little section right here, possibly the worst word you could find here is cunning. And maybe people don't think too far into it. So they just add up all the pieces and there's a bad picture being painted here. I would say even worse than that are the two words or three words actually, use any means. That gives you a pretty good insight into who they are going to ultimately become. See, I have a, a bit of a different reaction when I see this part of the song. And I think the two worst words or worst seeming words in in this little this little passage is or are real friends. It it sets mm. up the the reader to think, oh, Slytherins are are surrounded by people who are fake friends, but within their own house, they have their real friends. So what are they doing with these fake friends? And it it kind of plays up the idea of uh using someone. Right. That that's that's how I've always read that part of the song is like, ah, real friends. That's the bad part. And throughout the entire Harry Potter. Well, at, at least this first book. Right. We I, I subscribe to the idea that the author was going through and she was very much like, oh, I just have to have a bad house. I have to have the bad guys of of the story because this is, this is going to be a kid's book. Right. There there aren't going to be a lot of deep adult themes. So we just need a bad guy. But hopefully as we'll we'll go through the rest of the books in, in this discussion. But I think she had to pull back on that idea. And so when we get this song. It's like, oh, I'm setting this up as this is the bad house. These are the bad guys. And then she walks it back a little bit and 
anyway, I think I think the terms real friends are the are the sketchy ones. It's so interesting you say that because when I read that, I I get some of that, but it also makes me think of isolation. Mm. And it makes me feel like the sorting hat here is sort of setting Slytherin up to be the odd man out, as it were. Like, yeah, these are like the good houses. They all have varying different like degrees of quality that you can quibble about amongst yourselves. But like this is definitely um, sort of like the one that sticks out. It's like the odd one in the bunch. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel like the sorting hat is in a way setting Slytherins up to seem like it's either it's like a a protagonist or antagonist like type view depending on what you're walking into that sorting ceremony with like what your family's background is what information you've been provided with about the Hogwarts houses so you're going to read into this exactly what you want to see I actually think that's kind of dangerous that the sorting hat does this yeah (laughs) And what a go, jerk. <laughs> going back to what um Andrew had said about the the cunning part of it, I think that initially when you read it, you're meant to think that cunning implies they're tricksters and they're gonna do whatever is necessary in order to achieve their ends. But I think if you look at it after seven books or even as a little bit older, you can look at it well. You know, they're a bit more intellectual and, and, you know, looking at cunning is a little bit of a different definition than maybe when you read it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we know that originally the founders were all great friends. The Sorting Hat tells us about this in the Sorting Song in Order of the Phoenix, um, but that Slytherin's preference for Hogwarts to only accept students from pure blood wizarding families ultimately drove this particular core four apart. Andrew, I'm wondering if you could read this passage from the Sorting Hat song in book five. And at last there came a morning when old Slytherin departed. And though the fighting then died out, he left us quite downhearted. And never since the founders four were whittled down to three have the houses been united as they once were meant to be. So obviously the big legacy here for Slytherin that sort of hangs over everything is his preference for only educating pure-blood wizards. And I think oftentimes it causes discussions about Slytherin House to sort of boil down to, are they prejudiced or are they not prejudiced? And I'm wondering if there might be a little more nuance in this conversation. In thinking about this, um, you know, I think it goes without saying that there's no context that justifies prejudice. But I also wonder if there could have been an additional layer in there somewhere that influenced Slytherin beyond his bigotry. Um, So a common theory I've heard is that perhaps... Um, due to persecution of magical peoples by muggles during the time that might explain Slytherin's preference. But I wanted to get y'all's thoughts. I love this theory so much because to me, there there are certain parts of both Grindelwald and Voldemort uh, that I really do think is right in a certain way, not dominance or um, ruling over muggles and muggle-born witches and wizards, but this idea that wizards in and of themselves are somewhat an oppressed class of people. 
right? They are living in shadow on purpose, you know, because they had to put in, in effect the international statute of secrecy to go into hiding and defend their people and, and protect their people from muggle persecution that was happening. This fear that muggles have of magic and of this ability that they don't have, um, has caused an entire class of people to, hide within the shadows of of our everyday lives. And I do think that there is something to be said about this idea of breaking free as a magical person and living your authentic life not in hiding, right? Why should they be so hidden away because of this fear and this persecution that has plagued the the wizarding community for for decades, maybe even, even centuries? I love the idea that Salazar Slytherin was at one point maybe even a good person and had this kind of idea. Um, but through, you know, the retelling of the story, a giant game of telephone, and then with the introduction of the international statute of secrecy, that the wizarding community has viewed him as bad and painted him as this bigot. Now there's something to be said about whether or not there really are portraits of the Hogwarts founders within Hogwarts, you know, and that kind of thing. And whether that does capture who he is, because then, you know, you kind of get a sense of what he does truly believe. But I, I love this theory and I wish that we could get a little bit more of that expansion and think about it as in maybe he was at one point really just trying to protect witches, wizards and magical people. Yeah, mm. that's I think it's possible or maybe not. But we th- at the end of the day, we just don't know. And what I find so fascinating about this discussion is if we think about it in sort of a real world context, bigots and racists, they're not born like you don't spring into existence that way. Right. Those are taught philosophies and ideologies. So presumably Slytherin must have gotten it from somewhere. We just don't know where it was. Yeah. And I I wonder, too, how much of his own experience created this mindset. So kind of going off what you were saying, Tyler, did he have any of his own personal experiences in his life with the Muggle community that made him sort of adopt that type of philosophy? Um, I'm also thinking about in the Fantastic Beast series with Dumbledore, did a lot of his philosophy originate out of the fact that his sister was attacked by Muggles? So it may seem like a layer of protection that they're trying to implement as opposed or or just something that grows into something that's a little bit stronger than just the initial protection, right? It becomes this bias, it becomes this prejudice. And and that's when I think we see it as being taken as a step too far. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I would have never even looked at it that way. So I, I like the fact that Laura, you and Tyler kind of framed it uh, in that context. Yeah. There's no doubt that muggles look down upon the idea of magic, right? So if we know that to be true, and we know to be true that Salazar wanted wizards to live openly or just simply live and, you know, be accepted, then this theory can make sense. Absolutely. Right. I mean, people people are more complicated than just you were born good or born bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting because that sort of tends to be the rabbit hole we go down when we're talking about Voldemort. Like, is Voldemort's issue nature versus nurture? Mm. Um, And that's like a separate line of conversation. But at the same time, I think is one that we will see um, with some of the prominent Slytherins that we discuss a little bit 
later. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to point out just because I was doing a little bit of reading and this may be something that's common knowledge. It wasn't something I was aware of or it's not something I've been made aware of like recently, but apparently a distant descendant of Slytherins was one of the founders of Ilvermorny. Oh, I don't know if uh, I, I was aware of that. Isolt. Sarah. Oh, right. Sarah? Yeah, that's the name. And I just think, again, it's very interesting to point out that his legacy is not necessarily just his own, that there are other descendants and members of that family that have gone on to do great things. And Terrible. she actually married a great. She actually married a Puckwudgie. Oh. If we're assuming that Puckwudgies are like the American equivalent of Hufflepuffs, there you go. Yeah. And she was, <laughs> she was a parcel mouth, too. She was able ah, to, yeah. uh, to speak to that horned serpent. Mm. God, I, I completely forgot about all the, the Ilvermorny canon. I did want to also mm. bring up the the fact how how this whole situation is kind of presented to us as the reader when it comes to muggles right in in the harry potter canon we're taught the international statute of secrecy was you know brought about because of uh, wizard persecution all these things so we have this in their heads that hey muggles really 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 hated the wizarding community and then we get tales of beetle the bard and we get the story of the wizard in the hopping pot where the the local community is literally begging for help they don't know that the person who's helping them is is a wizard of course but you know in the story the son is walking down the street curing ales left and right you know freely kind of doing magic but doing magic for good and so i always find that that contrast between all the good that the the wizarding community has done or could have done for the muggle community and the persecution that they face at the hands of the muggle community to be a really, really fun and nuanced and really uh, invigorating conversation. Well, I wanted to shift focus to uh, about 50, well, 50% of our panel today are Slytherins, which is great. <laughs> um, Andrew, I know in particular, you're a Slytherin convert. Yes. So yes, I'm wondering I am. if you can tell us about why you switched houses. And then uh, Tyler, if you have something you'd like to add about like your realization of what makes you a Slytherin. We'd love to hear that too. Yeah, so I started as a Gryffindor because it's where you want to go. You want to be in Harry's house and the trio's house. So I think I just went there and I think Pottermore told me Gryffindor and I was pleased that Pottermore agreed with what I had thought all these years. But then come 2016, I was coming out of a multi-year relationship and the 2016 was also ending and 2017. Mike is already laughing. I don't know why. Mike, <laughs> 2017 was beginning. So I was entering a new year. It's like, you know, my relationship's over. New year, new me. You know what? I want to break free of the rules. I want a change of scene. I want to feel bad. So I joined Slytherin. But bad and in a good way. Being like bad. Bad in a good oh, way. Okay. Like I a badass. Like, oh. Yeah. And then I killed four people. No, I, I wanted to feel like a badass. Slytherin's cool. It feels cool to be a part of. So I just wanted to change a scene. So I literally, I remember the exact, exact moment I decided to change my house. I was at the Wizarding World in Hollywood and I saw that Slytherin crew neck sweater and I was like, that's cool. I'm in. That's so me. It was the sweater that did it. <laughs> it was the sweater that did it. No, but... You start so th- that was really it for me. It was kind of just like a fun change, but then I started thinking about it more. Like we mentioned a few minutes ago, Slytherins are cunning. I feel that way. Slytherins are also described as clever and resourceful and determined. Check, check, check. 
these are things that I am. And I'm not perfect. Trust me, I'm extremely flawed. But I really identify with some of the leading traits of Slytherin. And so, you know, and even the one, a certain disregard for the rules, as Dumbledore put it, as he heard yeah, about Salazar. you're such a rule breaker, let me tell you. I, you know, I, I really can be, though. I really can be. Of course, I'm not about to go into that. Uh-huh. I have never broken the law for the record. <laughs> but sometimes I step around the rules a little bit to get things done. So you step around we, the law. Can we expect another change of house <laughs> post pandemic? Like when you're coming out of another big moment? <laughs> Not a breakup though, right? Is that what you're No, 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 no. Post pandemic. <laughs> like you got through the pandemic, you're feeling, I don't know, puffle puffy. <laughs> like you've just emerged from your den, you know? There you go. Got a tray of right. cookies like, or something. Yeah. I just want to bake some goods and yeah. make some friends. I think I'll be a Hufflepuff now. <laughs> no yeah i don't think i don't see myself changing houses again unless i run into a really cool new piece of apparel at a wizarding world theme park (laughs) there we go just to close this out i want to say despite the story about the sweater i'm very proud to be a part of slytherin house i really feel like i am a slytherin good we're proud to have you. you tyler i've ever since i was a kid i've always identified as slytherin and i think once you get past the idea that we're we're experiencing the wizarding world and the story through Harry's eyes, so we're go- we're not going to get you know every little bit of what it truly means to be a character in that house. Once you get kind of past that and you see Slytherin for what it is, a house that values ambition, determination, cunningness, staying true to the people who are important to you, um, that I think will start to resonate with a lot more people. Once you get past that kind of hurdle of like Slytherin are the bad guys, you know, that surface level understanding of it. um, You really do see that Slytherin has some really, really great qualities. And I saw that right away when I started in this fandom back in 2000 was the idea that Slytherin is just ambitious. And that's always been the one key trait about myself, about others that I value the most is ambition, the the desire to want to do something. Uh, and there's no house that does it better than Slytherin. So I've been a very proud, proud Slytherin ever since the beginning of this fandom. That's awesome. So for you, it was more being able to maybe look past some of the in, like greater interpretations about Slytherins and what it meant to be a Slytherin. And you were able to see a positive side of it. Andrew just wanted to be a badass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just Andrew wanted, wanted the, the leather jacket, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I do see the positives now. I do. Yeah. No, I'm just teasing. Well, I mean, while we're, while we're on the topic, uh, when I did the um, Pottermore quiz, I was a hat stall between Ravenclaw and Slytherin. So nice. But you had identified with Ravenclaw prior to taking that quiz, right? That's why you picked it. Yeah. Okay. I wonder what would have happened if it it was proposing either like Gryffindor or Slytherin. Which Ooh. would you have chosen? Slytherin. Ooh. Oh, you would have. Yeah. There you go. I think I would make the same choice, honestly. I always take those like sorting hat tests that like give you the percentage breakdown afterwards. Um, mm. That like super really long one. And for me, Slytherin was like 90, like 98 percent, you know, Whoa. it was it was huge. And then I took it another time and it was a little more even. But even between Slytherin and the next house, Ravenclaw, it was like a good 40 point difference between the two. Wow. Interesting. I need to take one of those. Mm-hmm. Now, now that you say that, do you think that Ravenclaws would lean more towards being in Slytherin and Hufflepuffs more towards Gryffindor? 
I think so. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. Like I said at the top of the episode, I feel like there's quite a bit of overlap between Ravenclaw and Slytherin in terms of the qualities that sort of make them who they are, mm-hmm. make the house what it is anyway. Um, I do want to address the elephant in the room with both of you, though. Neither of you are prejudiced people, but Slytherins are often stereotyped as being blood purists and prejudiced themselves. We do see examples of Slytherins who are not, but I think it's fair to say the vast majority of the ones that we spend a lot of time with in the books are. Um, So what do you make of this? How do you reconcile not agreeing with that particular ideology, but still being Slytherins yourselves. Yeah. When when I think of, you know, encountering other Harry Potter fans and they tell me what house that they are in, I never think, and if they tell me Slytherin, for example, I never think of the bad things. I'm thinking of my house in the scope of the fandom, fellow Harry Potter fans. Um, so I just focus on the good parts of it. Because we in the fandom, we're deciding on our Hogwarts house to identify for each other's amusement, to share for each other's amusement what house we're a part of. It's a, it's a fun discussion topic. And I put all that aside. I put Salazar's history aside and some of these other Slytherins aside and, you know, all the terrible things. And I'm just talking about it from a positive trait perspective. I'm in Slytherin because of these reasons. That's real good. I take a different route where... When it was revealed that Merlin was a Slytherin, I would tell every single person because, you know, I would tell people I'm a Slytherin and they're like, oh, you're the bad guy. I'm like, no, what What are you talking about? No, there are good people. Let me find them, though. And then when it was revealed (laughs) that this great the greatest wizard to have ever existed, you know, this great Merlin um, was a Slytherin. I was like, done. Ting. We win. Like. The best wizard in wizarding history, you know, aside from Dumbledore and, you know, whatever. But this wizard who is so strongly revered as being the greatest, being a Slytherin, showed me that it really was you could you could break out of those stereotypes. It it isn't so much that Slytherins are all prejudiced. It's just that there are a lot of prejudiced people in Slytherin and that the greatest wizard in wizarding history was a Slytherin. There has to be something more beneath that surface so that's what i would always tell people is well did you know the greatest wizard that ever existed merlin was a slytherin and they're like whoa so (laughs) i love that well i feel like slytherin also gets a lot of um i mean obviously for salazar and his prejudices this is warranted on him but um, they get a lot of flack for like the overarching theme of like anti-muggle discrimination. But I think what a lot of people forget is that there are people across all four houses who discriminate on the basis of blood purity, but also um, your like personhood, like if you're a magical creature and not actually a wizard. Plenty of people across all four houses who discriminate on the basis of that. So this is a larger problem in the wizarding world. And I agree that there are, while there are quite a few people in Slytherin who exhibit these tendencies, it's unfair to say all Slytherins are racist, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. One of the things that came to mind, and I think we mentioned this, it may have even been on the last episode with respect to Slytherin, is that 
all of the houses have some level of inherent bias. If you think about the sorting hat and how yeah. it's essentially classifying all of the students within the school, it it there's bias just inherently whether you're in Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, Ravenclaw or Slytherin, it doesn't really matter. It's just that with respect to Slytherin, there happens to be you know essentially one or two wizards who have put a massive stain on the house and they need to do some work to clean that stain up. But I think if we were to dig in the histories of Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, we would probably find things that may be on the same level or in some cases even worse um, than what we saw uh, from some of the, those that were in Slytherin. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is such a good call out because the other three founders bounded together against Slytherin based on his prejudice, which was the right thing to do. But it also means that, you know, history is written by the victors, right? So like, there probably is a good chunk of history about the other founders that even in the wizarding world, people would not be privy to and chances of us being privy to it, or I would say slim to none. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's absolutely a good call out. And With that said, I'm wondering how much of Slytherin's legacy should be used against current members of Slytherin House, particularly the ones who sort of follow in his footsteps. Thinking of like the book two Draco Malfoys of the world who are saying, I'm so excited for the Basilisk to murder all the mudbloods. I hope Hermione's next. But and and. People are probably not going to like that I'm going to say this, but Draco at the time is 12. Yeah, I agree with that. He probably finds it somewhat cool what's happening, and he doesn't really understand the full impact of what it is that he's saying. And and I also kind of thought about when he's calling Hermione a mudblood, does he really understand truly what that represents and is he just saying it because it's cool and it's fun because i think if we look back there are probably things that we've said in our younger years that would be offensive to some people but we just thought it was funny or cool to say it in the moment because it made us look cool Mm -hmm. or we thought it made us look cool it's how he was raised too Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. he doesn't know any other way. But in terms of the adults, we can compare them to Salazar in certain ways and look down upon them because they do hold some of the values that he does as well. There's less room to forgive a Bellatrix or a Lucius or any of these others who are very problematic and are full-grown adults. It would be one thing if Draco didn't change. Draco did change. Well, and I think people will tend to take characters from other houses on a case-by-case basis. I mean, look at the Marauders. Um, With the exception of Lupin, they were bullies. Yep. Mm -hmm. And people are willing to forgive that about them because they were kids when they were doing a lot of that. So I think it's fair to say that someone like Draco Malfoy, who has shown over time that he was able to grow... um, and kind of overcome that ingrained prejudice, uh, or at least work very, very hard to try and do so, I think that deserves recognition, absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. And don't forget about Pettigrew either, who's probably yeah. the best example of a, of a Gryffindor turned bad. Yeah. We, we tend not to think 
of Gryffindors as being evil, but certainly Pettigrew would fit that category. And to be honest, I feel like I see some Slytherin in Dumbledore too. Without a doubt. Mm. 100%. Yeah. Nobody mm. likes I've... to talk about it, but <laughs> Tyler, I get I... the sense you do. Oh, all the time. I, I always say that uh, for some reason that Dumbledore was missorted because he is a Slytherin at heart. 100%. I, I really do think that in addition to Dumbledore, you know, being a Slytherin, I think we should abandon this idea of defining the houses based on the characters who are put in them. Because I always like to bring up, Hey, if we're going to do that, don't forget Gilderoy Lockhart was a Ravenclaw. Like, wow, what an awful dude that guy was, you know? And when we get down to what the actual traits are for each of the houses, that's what we should focus on. Not X person was in X house. So that therefore X house is bad, you know, or anything like that. So and I think it would have been a little bit of a credibility boost to have Dumbledore and Slytherin. But, you know, we, we can't have everything. You have Merlin. You do have Merlin. That's a pretty big <laughs> That's one. right. That's <laughs> right. Well, and th- this also goes back to the point of Hogwarts sorts too soon. Yeah. yeah. Lockhart was a Ravenclaw when he was 11. Mm-hmm. You know, he turned into a different person. We all change from when we were 11. We have no idea the type of person we are but, at 11. No, I mean, you could make the argument, though, because you know, intellect is often associated with Ravenclaws. You have to be a pretty smart person to do what he did and to hoodwink all of those people. Th- mm-hmm. That's why I think there's like, there's it's like a scale for, for a lot of these houses. Right, right. Except Hufflepuff. <laughs> You're just really teeing it up for, <laughs> for that Hufflepuff week. discussion. Yeah, the yeah. next episode. <laughs> Poor Eric. Well, Micah, you put together a pretty comprehensive list of notable members of Slytherin House. And uh, we've also broken some of those folks down based on some like quotes um, to kind of help define where they are sort of if we're thinking about Slytherin as a spectrum and we're thinking about one end of it being the extreme like Salazar Slytherin, super prejudiced, blood purist to the other end of the spectrum where it's like, no, this is just a normal person who just so happens to be in Slytherin. Um, so if you'd like to run us through the list, we can jump in with thoughts. Yeah. Should we start with Salazar Slytherin? <laughs> <laughs> Who? I think we've covered him I pretty well. I think we well. know what end of the spectrum he is on. Yeah. Yes, I think so too. <laughs> it's hard to put Merlin on the spectrum, but let's see, just based on the information that we do have on him from Pottermore says that he was sorted into Slytherin when he was at Hogwarts, and he went on to become one of the most famous wizards in history. The Order of Merlin, named to commemorate him, has been awarded since the 15th century, and legend has it that the first Order of Merlin's green ribbon reflects his Hogwarts house. So you don't get a whole lot of information there on what kind of a person he was, but I'm open to suggestions here. I don't know a whole lot about Merlin as a figure. Um, apart from obviously, he it's he's not just like a Harry Potter canonical character, right? Mm-hmm. But it definitely carries a good deal of weight to think about someone like Merlin being a representative of that house. Mm-hmm. Tyler, do you have any other insights on Merlin? It seemed like you had some thoughts on him earlier. Yeah. I think the fact that we have so many colloquialisms or or little sayings, right? Little little phrases that are thrown into everyday wizarding vernacular. Merlin's pants, you know, all those Merlin's beard, you know, all that yeah. that kind of stuff <laughs> seems to imply that 
Merlin at least was regarded as somebody positive, right? You don't throw around, um, you know, Salazar Slytherin's beard, you know, you know stuff like that. Like <laughs> no. weird, you know, if Salazar Slytherin is our bad guy. It's more of a goatee, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, if, if Salazar Slytherin is our bad guy and we don't see any, you know, kind of fun phrases or sayings with his name, but we see a bunch with Merlin. I think that says something in the fact that we, we do know that Merlin was at least in some kind of positive regard in the wizarding community. Same with the fact that we have, you know, these order of Merlin's, these awards that are, you know, talked about in such high regard, like, Oh my God, order of Merlin first class. Wow. That has to, we don't, we don't see an order of Salazar or an order of Slytherin. Right. So I think yeah. at least to me, it feels as though Slytherin or uh, Merlin is a positive person in the wizarding community. That's a good way to think about it. It's like what so we do too. with, with Batman in the wizarding world or sorry, in the muggle world. <laughs> We're like, Holy bleep Batman, you know, sure. mm-hmm. uh, what house would Batman Batman's be a good in? guy. So Hufflepuff. uh yeah and i'm just thinking too i i just wrapped up watching um merlin the series and going back to what you're talking about earlier tyler like he has to live in secrecy literally the entire spoiler alert the entire series it's not until the literally the very last episode that he reveals himself to arthur and to others in the community and so i think that you know if we're keeping in line with the thought of why Salazar wouldn't want to allow anybody other than purebloods into Hogwarts. That's a perfect example. Why? Because you have somebody who's literally doing good the entire time, but is forced to live in secrecy because of who he is not dissimilar from the wizard in the hopping pot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, next one on the list is Severus Snape, the first half-blood in Slytherin that we're going to talk about. Yeah, and I find this so interesting considering the number of half-bloods that we know of in Slytherin House. Um, And I I just thought it was a bit odd, just given the fact that we know about Slytherin's preference. But we also know um, there's a quote from Voldemort, I think from Book 7, where he's humiliating um, the Narcissa and Bellatrix by talking about their sister marrying a muggle and having a half-blood child. And, and he's really giving them a hard time and humiliating them in front of all the other Death Eaters. And then he sort of waves it away and he's like, oh, even the purest among us have had some decay in our family trees. And it makes me wonder if that is how some pureblood members of Slytherin House might feel about this, about the increase in half-blood members of the house. Hmm. And Snape, you know, I think he's a great example of someone who kind of turns the uh, reputation of Slytherin on its head, right? I mean, he ultimately sacrifices himself to... (laughs) to prevent, you know, Voldemort from ascending to power that second time. Mm-hmm. Did Voldemort know that Snape was half-blood? Did any of the Death Eaters? Or did they just assume that he was a pure-blood? Because I'm just I thinking about know. it now. Like, I, I feel like that would be a point of contention for 
somebody like Bellatrix. But does it matter if Voldemort still? Well, no, Voldemort's half respects blood too, him. so who, he probably doesn't care really. Deep yeah. down inside. My yeah. point just is that if Voldemort's okay with it, then Bellatrix doesn't have any reason to complain or won't be allowed to complain. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. She's don't she so. really hates Snape, so I feel like if she knew, she would probably use this against him. Um, but at the same time, I kind of I don't know. I feel like with Voldemort in the Death Eaters. It's a little bit like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And Mm -hmm. if you're willing to team up with us and you can show your loyalty, if you can prove that, then you're in. As long as you're not a Muggleborn. To my knowledge, no Muggleborns fought with the Death Eaters. All right. Well, uh, keeping on track with Death Eaters who were in Slytherin and betrayed Voldemort. Let's talk about Regulus Black. What a hero. Right? <laughs> Love this guy. I think he's, he's a good on, one. Like, we approve of him. Yeah. I think he's like on like towards the spectrum of like normal, normal person. Right. Just a ambitious, mm-hmm. cunning dude. And he kind of always struck me as someone who may have changed over time. You know, Sirius always got the impression that Regulus was totally gung-ho with the Dark Lord's mission and wanted to be his servant. But something changed. Somewhere along the line, something changed. Either that or this guy was like way ahead of the game and was a double agent from the very start, which kind of seems doubtful to me. It seems more likely that he probably evolved in his thinking over yeah, the course of I th- serving Voldemort. I think it was when he was looking at what Voldemort was doing, he decided to tap out. So mm-hmm. I can respect Although that. Although I have read a really fun fan theory that Regulus did everything that he did because he wanted to be the next Dark Lord. Um, that was just a fun little oh. thing. That I was like, like, oh, I like and that. he would compete against Voldemort? Yeah. Like he would like huh. go after the Horcruxes, defeat all the, like, you know, destroy all the Horcruxes, <laughs> de- destroy Voldemort, and then take over. It was a fun okay. little thing. Honestly, yeah. I love stuff like that that sort of delves into all the little nooks and crannies of what could have been mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. story. And it's interesting to think, you know, when Regulus is writing that note about hopefully when you meet your match, you'll be mortal again. He was referring to himself. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh-huh. oh, that's yeah, great. I, I always yes. just struggle with the fact that Sirius never really knew Regulus's true allegiance before yeah. he died. Um, I feel like that would have been really just important for him to have learned. But sticking with that family, uh, Phineas Nigellus Black, I'm kind of wondering, is he better in portrait form than maybe when he was around um, <laughs> as a real person? Um, but he's, he seems to have softened a bit uh, in, in his portrait form and is certainly ready, willing, and able to help um, as needed. I mean, he comes in clutch many times throughout the series. So maybe he's a little bit tired of the pure blood mania. <laughs> yeah. I also yeah. wonder too if he's just holding his duty to help the headmasters of Hogwarts as something very sacred. Yeah. Like, do portraits. It's his school. Yeah. I mean, do portraits have motivations? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, beyond what's assigned to them. I guess, like if you're intended to be a messenger. Yeah. Is there any other? Well, 
he's he's there to advise the other headmasters, right? He's he was a former headmaster mm-hmm. himself. Um, it's noted that he didn't really like students, so I don't I don't understand how he ended up being a headmaster. But uh, <laughs> he seems to do pretty good when he uh, is tasked with certain responsibilities. So uh, I give him a thumbs up. Me too. Yeah, and maybe all that hanging around Dumbledore inspired some change in him. Yeah, yeah, and that's why he became a little softer. Very likely. Next up. I was going to say, I think we can skip the next one. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, unless Tyler wants to take on well, that's true. Riddle. <laughs> no, <laughs> my boy is very much on that, that Salazar Slytherin spectrum okay. of, towards yeah, the end. <laughs> you know, he's, he's down there, so we can definitely skip him. <laughs> How about Horace Slughorn? He's an interesting one. I think while... I'm not sure he's a pure blood maniac. He certainly has a problem with collecting people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's a really valuable trait to have. It seems like right. that's ultimately what fuels him as a person to surround himself with celebrity and and those who have really done great things. And And of course, they all usually are students that he himself has taught. So I'm sure he takes some level of credit for their success. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do see him really kind of round the corner uh, in towards the end of Half-Blood Prince uh, with the memory, uh, but certainly in Deathly Hallows and, and coming to the Battle of Hogwarts and, and even um, at a point, I believe, dueling Voldemort. So mm-hmm. um, that yeah. should speak for itself to have the head of Slytherin House dueling the Dark Lord. Yeah, that is pretty cool. You mentioned collecting, though. He only came back to Hogwarts because he wanted to collect Harry. That's how Dumbledore lured him there. So his intentions in coming back to the school weren't very good and were extremely shallow. So I guess in terms of the scale, I would put him somewhere in the middle. Really? I'm very much like if, if, if Salazar is one end, Horace Slughorn to me is the exact opposite end, right? Hmm. I see... Slughorn as kind of that um, as Joe trying to fix her mistake that she made in earlier books where she's just attributing Slytherin as always bad, always bad, always bad. And in Half-Blood Prince, she has to introduce a character who's in Slytherin and who has a strong affinity for Slytherin and becomes the head of Slytherin, but isn't bad in and of himself. Kind of what Micah was saying, the fact that he duels Voldemort at the end, I think really does show that Horace is not, he's not a, bad guy because he's in Slytherin. We can have that conversation about him being bad in regards to wanting to collect students, but I don't think that part in and of itself is related to Slytherin, right? If we're just talking about the Slytherin attributes and whether or not uh, Salazar's influence on him kind of determines how these characters are, I don't think the collecting part kind of plays into it. I think it's purely him just being, you know, wanting to be this great networker and collector of, of famous people so if we were to boil him down just to like the the bad Slytherin traits that we, you know, that we know, if we were to put him on the spectrum. I think he's on that far left side. I don't think he's I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he really is the epitome of what it means to be a true non-bigoted Slytherin. Yeah, I, I tend to agree that he's closer to the opposite end of the spectrum, but I think that he's a good representative. And I, I'm sure we all know someone like this in real life. Um, of someone who would never wish harm on another person ever, um, but still tokenizes Muggleborns a bit. 
Um, I pulled this passage um, from Half-Blood Prince where Harry says, one of my best friends is Muggleborn and she's the best in our year. And Slughorn says, funny how sometimes that happens, isn't it? And Harry's like, no, not really, you weirdo. Um, And Slughorn immediately launches into this. You mustn't think I'm prejudiced. No, no, no. Haven't I just said your mother was one of my all-time favorite students? And then he starts name-dropping other Muggleborns that he's been impressed with. So he still has that ingrained, like, sense that somehow makes, you know, different blood statuses very distinct to him. And that doesn't mean that he's a bad person. It doesn't mean that he would wish harm on any of these people. But he's definitely not seeing everyone as equal, at least at this point in the series. Who knows? After the Battle of Hogwarts, he might completely change his tune. Definitely. This line just funny how that sometimes happens, isn't it? (laughs) Can you believe (laughs) somebody intelligent? Is a muggle born? Funny how that happens sometimes. <laughs> Unfortunately, people in the real world have made similar comments about yeah. groups of people that they can't believe could possibly have the kind of intellect that they do. So yeah. he's yeah. I feel like he's kind of um he's reminiscent of like perhaps some people's grandparents a little bit. That's kind of what he reminds me of somewhat. Definitely. And uh, just a note that Bag Boy pointed out in the Discord that Phineas Nigelis was not always an enthusiastic helper in mentioning that is true. Uh, Order of the Phoenix when Arthur Weasley gets attacked. Look, everybody has a bad day at the office, okay? But generally, <laughs> he's helpful. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about Lita Lestrange, and then we could talk about uh, Bellatrix, Narcissa, and Andromeda, the three sisters. But with Lita, I don't think we know enough about her yet, but I but I would say, like going back to the point that was made about you know, Joe trying to kind of correct things towards the end of the Harry Potter series with Slughorn, I feel like that's also going on now with Lita in the Fantastic Beast series. I don't know, Tyler, what you think about that. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that as well. We see Lita as this kind of outcast, um, this very vulnerable young woman who's by herself. She's not around. Um, you know, when we think of Slytherin, we think about connected and, you know, you're walking around with your quote unquote real friends. But when it comes to Lita here, she is all by herself, totally alone. And she's, I don't know. She doesn't feel like she fits in. And I think that's showing a more vulnerable side of Slytherin. What happens when you enter a house that is supposed to be the most connected house with, you know, your fellow uh, housemates and you feel like the outcast. And I think that that kind of writing and setting her up in that way with Newt Scamander um, is a really fun, fun uh, way to see Slytherin that we don't see Slytherin that often. Um, but I do think, yeah, again, she's, uh, Lita is not prejudiced herself, at least that we know of. I want to say that she's not. Um, but yeah, I think she's a really good new representation of what, it, what it really means to be a Slytherin. I think so too, particularly with how racked she is with guilt over yeah. what, you know, she thinks her role was in, uh, Corvus's death. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's lived her life determined to turn over a new leaf and she's working in some kind of official capacity with the ministry. Now I forget what it is. It's 
magical law enforcement, I think it is. So she's trying to be very lawful. And um, she also sacrificed herself. Spoiler alert. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Perhaps. I've read a really fun theory. Yeah. So we'll see. What's your theory? The theory that came about was that the the um, Protego Diabolica doesn't actually kill you. It actually just takes you to a special cell in Nurmengard. I don't know, but I I really, really doubt that Lita Lestrange is going to be introduced and then taken away in, in one film like that. I think we're going to be seeing her again. I agree. Definitely. Um, we have sacrificed here in the dock with quotation marks because that's like an outstanding question. Yeah. Um, but still, one way or another, she performs some kind of sacrifice in an attempt to distract Grindelwald from what he was doing in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. So yeah, definitely a very pot. Like I would say maybe, maybe Lita is the other end of the Slytherin spectrum. Perhaps. Yeah. I, I could see that too. Maybe yeah. it's her. And she was friends with the Hufflepuff. You got to give her credit yeah. for that. That's right. You do. Don't tell Eric. I agreed with you, but uh <laughs> You know, we're talking about Slytherins on a spectrum, and I, I don't think there's probably any better representation of that than Narcissa, Bellatrix, and Andromeda. And opening it up just to discuss, but I would say Bellatrix would probably be on the Salazar end, Narcissa would be somewhere in the middle, and Andromeda would be on the Slughorn Lita side of things. I agree. That's exactly I like I that. Put too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially marrying a muggle. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I was refreshing myself on Narcissa a little bit ahead of this discussion because I feel like when we talk about her, we only touch on her in the context of like how her character arc rounded out in that it was Mm -hmm. a mother's love once again that saved the day. But she's not the greatest outside Mm -hmm. of that. Um, there's this one scene um, where the trio comes across Draco and Narcissa in Madame Malkin's. Draco's getting fitted for his robes. This is after Lucius has gone to Azkaban. And um, at one point, Draco has a fit and just like throws his robes to the ground and decides they're going to go somewhere else. And Narcissa says, you're right, Draco, said Narcissa with a contemptuous glance at Hermione. Now that I know the kind of scum that shops here, we'll do better at twill fit and tattings. Oh, my God. So, yeah, she's Yuck. she's definitely like maybe middle, but like airing closer to the Bellatrix side of things, at least at this point in the series. But that tells me that she's. She's kind of an opportunist because the second that this ideology was not going to work out well for her family, she's like, oh, no, whatever. I don't care. Voldemort who? I don't yeah, care. Exactly. <laughs> the whole Malfoy family's trash. <laughs> well, I don't think we can talk about Slytherin House without talking about its house ghosts. So the Bloody Baron, <laughs> uh, he killed somebody. So I, I don't know what end of the spectrum that warrants him receiving whether he did it out of love or any other justification it's still murder at the end of the day so i wonder if that was selfishness i mean you know we hear about crimes of passion and people doing things out of love Mm -hmm. but it's like if you kill somebody because they won't have you (laughs) that's that's not love that's just selfishness that's some real snape energy yeah it's like snape if you turned him up to an 11 
basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Snape plus. Yeah. Snape Yuck. plus Snape Max. <laughs> yeah. That's actually, I like that. <laughs> to interact right. with the Bloody Baron is only $9.99 a month. Oh my gosh. Nice. You get ESPN and Hulu with it. <laughs> now, there are a few Slytherins we notably omitted here, but Laura, you noted how a few of them are still down with the founder's pure blood mania and two of them are Malfoys and one of them is our good friend of the show Dolores Umbridge. Yep. Um punching pillow patent pending. Um, <laughs> um but she I mean you don't really need to go much further than book seven. Of course we could dig way back through book five and find a ton of substantiating evidence. But when Harry comes across her office in the ministry in book seven, she has a plaque on there that says senior undersecretary to the minister. And below that, a slightly shinier new plaque that reads head of the Muggleborn Registration Commission. She's kept detailed notes on anyone that she deems to be undesirable, um, their blood statuses, as well as their... Um, perceptions of muggles and muggle-borns and Mm -hmm. we'll refer to pure-blooded wizards as trade as blood traders if they're fan or if they're friendly to uh muggles and muggle-borns so it's a pretty easy one she's like salazar slytherin end of the spectrum well and and she's another half-blood too that we should just call attention Mm -hmm. yeah anytime there's a character like this it kind of feels like their whole approach is that they feel like there's something deficient in themselves because they're not pure blood. So they're like having uh, to make up for it. Double down on the evil. By being maniacs. Yeah. Well, and if I'm remembering correctly, it was something about how her father wasn't rising enough within the ministry and she considered him like a disappointment. And then she had a sibling who was a squib. So yep. it's just like she wanted to basically purge herself of that and pass herself off essentially as a pure blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. What about father and son Malfoy? So Lucius is definitely another very obvious example. Um, I pulled a quote that I had actually forgotten about from Chamber of Secrets. And I know this is earlier in the series, but I think Lucius holds pretty true to this line of thought throughout the whole series. Um when he comes to inform Dumbledore that the um, school governors have all signed a petition asking him to resign. Um, and he literally ends this statement by being like, two more Muggleborn killings this afternoon, wasn't it? At this rate, there will be no Muggleborns left at Hogwarts. And we all know what an awful loss that would be to the school. Doesn't even try yeah. to hide it. And again, the thing with, with Lucius is that he is an adult. Yep. He is set in his ways. He's not going to change at this point. With very few exceptions, in my opinion, very few people do change at this point in their adulthood, especially in these deeply rooted issues that are ingrained in them from the start. So, um, yeah, he's he's towards the Salazar side for oh, sure. Oh, for sure. What's interesting about Lucius, though, is we know that after the first Wizarding War, he um, denied everything. You know, he claimed to have seen the light. And I think he also claimed to be under some kind of 
spell that was causing him to participate in all of Voldemort's nefarious acts. So he's also a creature of opportunity. I mean, we see this at the end of Deathly Hallows, too. He's just, like, trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. Yep. I felt like it was one of the portrayals they did really well in the movie, actually, was showing the Malfoy family noping out. Just yeah, like literally like, running. <laughs> See ya. And Draco. Yeah. And Draco, I think I think Andrew really summed this up beautifully earlier in the episode just by speaking about the fact that Draco, much of when we see him in the books, he's a child, you know, and I think looking at Chamber of Secrets and Half-Blood Prince are really interesting use cases because, you know, they're thinking about ring theory. Of course, books two and six are connected. And in book two, Draco is so boastful about wanting to know who the heir of Slytherin is. He wants to help with the basilisk. He wants to help rid the school of mudbloods. And then in book six, when he finally gets his chance to serve Voldemort, he's like, oh, snap, I didn't realize it was going to be this serious, <laughs> you know, and he's <laughs> incredibly overwhelmed and starts to falter in some of those deeply ingrained ideologies. So yeah. I think he is an example of somebody who evolved in his thinking over time. Definitely. You also have this interesting note here, too, about how he had thought about attending Durmstrang versus Hogwarts. And we learn later really the importance of saying something like this because of Grindelwald. Yeah. Um, Draco, or originally Draco was boasting that Lucius wanted him to go to Durmstrang um, because they actually taught the dark arts. They're not defense against the dark arts, but the dark arts themselves. The only reason he didn't go is because Narcissa didn't like the idea of him being so far away from home. Mm-hmm. So again, another example of her sort of like choosing convenience and the safety of her family over her purported ideologies. Is Durmstrang just one big school for Slytherins? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if we were to follow that kind of, you know, surface level thinking of Slytherin is bad, dark arts, blah. Is Durmstrang really just a school of only Slytherins? Slash if that's the case or if that's not the case. Where does that fall? Like, is Slytherin or would the the equivalent of Slytherin be like Gryffindors? And then is there an even worse house at Durmstrang? Like a super dark arts, like a super Slytherin? You know what I mean? Slytherin plus. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know if we know much. It's kind of hard to compare because Crumb goes to Durmstrang, right? Yeah. And he's he does not strike me as a Slytherin at all. No, and he's all about Hermione. Mm hmm. Yeah. And Hermione likes it, so Though, true. <laughs> I mean, I was going to make the point that it, its headmaster is a former Death Eater, but I feel like we have former yeah. Death Eaters in positions at Hogwarts too, so not yeah. sure that that's the best argument. All right, uh, just to wrap up, um, one other Slytherin that we do know about is Albus Severus Potter. He's a good one. He's a good egg. We know this. Sure, he's made some mistakes in The Cursed Child, but he as a kid you know those things happen temptation got to him i think it's really telling that first of all that harry in his adulthood was able to see past his own prejudice from his childhood and tell his son hey if you're sorted into slytherin then slytherin just got a great wizard mm-hmm. right and right. the fact that i mean i have to imagine um that albus severus would have been aware 
of the childhood rivalry between his father and Draco, who's the father of his best friend. And he's able to see past that and be friends with someone who comes from a long line of people um, who up until very recently were adversaries of his family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the greatest traits anyone could have, Slytherin or otherwise. And, and Laura, I think, I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Andrew. Well, I was just going to say on the point of Harry being supportive of Albus being sorted here, that's part of being a parent, you know, a good parent saying, hey, you were sorted into Slytherin, that's okay. And and I think that that moment also illustrates Harry's profound growth over the books. Yeah, I think so, too. Harry could have been a good Slytherin, too. Right. Yeah. Yes, and of course, have. like I think what was said earlier, you know, the hat was considering putting him in there. So that's kind of like a full circle moment as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would like to see an alternate telling of the Harry Potter books where Harry is sorted into Slytherin. I think that would be fascinating. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Tyler can write Tyler, it. do you write fan fiction? <laughs> no, but I, I'm down for that. Could you imagine like Harry finding the not prejudiced Slytherins, you know, the ones in the background that we don't get to experience Mm -hmm. the ones who are like, you know, man, that Draco Malfoy really sucks, you know? Oh, like I'm sure that they're there and I'm sure, you know, Harry would find them. Yeah. They've got to be there. Right. Because I mean, we Mm -hmm. see Gryffindors who suck. I mean, think about Cormac McLaggen. Everybody (sighs) hates him, Mm -hmm. but he's in the good house. I think if Harry was in Slytherin and had made those connections, we would have had some Slytherins stay behind for the Battle of Hogwarts. Ooh, that is interesting. I always thought it was a bit odd that none of them stayed, (laughs) with the exception of Draco and company. Like, it just seemed, it kind of felt to me, it was a little disappointing because it felt like so much work had been done to sort of make the portrayal of Slytherins more nuanced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, it was like, ah, oh, no, they they all dipped. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. yeah. And that was Rowling's like, last chance to kind of be like, look, there's a lot of good Slytherins out there. Mm. Oh, well. Yeah. Enter Lita. Pretty <laughs> <Exactly>. much. <laughs> Lita is the answer to everything. And the author kind of doubles down on that, too, by, by like, uh, having Pansy Parkinson be like, well, there he is. Grab him. You know, know. it's like, come on. I know. And I think, doesn't McGonagall in the film encourage Filch to take Slytherins to the dungeons? That's not what happens in the book, right? They just leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just, that was like, um, he's there. Yeah. It felt like they were attempting to do fan service in that moment, but it kind of makes me wonder if they understood the fandom's perception. McGonagall fan service? When does that ever happen? <laughs> uh, only like twice in that 20 minute span of time in that movie. <laughs> and they're both very good, yeah. in my opinion. Uh huh. Well, no, I was talking about Crimes of Grindelwald. Oh. Yes, oh, yeah. But anyway, poor McGonagall. Yeah. I got you, just messing with Thank her you, timeline and everything. <laughs> well, I've really appreciated the conversation. I've I've liked how we've been able to explore that. In Slytherin House, just like any other house or any other group of people, there's good and bad there, right? Yes. It's kind of like Sirius said in Order of the Phoenix, the world is not split up into good people and Death Eaters. It's a lot more complicated than that. Um, So hopefully that's something that we were all able to take away from this. Andrew, it looks like you want us to 
say one or two nice things about Slytherins, right? I do. I do, Laura, because I see this episode and next week's episode as a resource for people who are looking to be able to defend Slytherin, whether that's because they're in the house or they feel like they want to defend this house and they just want to see it differently than it's joked about in fandom. So I can start. I just want to say, getting back to my conversion earlier in in the episode, again, revisiting these traits, being clever, being resourceful, being determined. I am someone personally, I'll toot my own horn for a moment, who is self-made, and it's because of my Slytherin traits. So if you are a Slytherin, you can know you are somebody who can go at it on your own. You can be street smart instead of book smart, even though Slytherins can be book smart too. You are a very intelligent person who is capable of taking on anything. And I applaud all the clever ways that you take on life. And please share them with me because I admire that type of thing very much. Snap, snap, snap. Just don't admit to breaking any laws. Tyler, what do you have to say about Slytherin? You know, if somebody ever comes to you and says, Slytherin is bad because of X character. Bring up some of the characters that we've talked about who are in other houses who are just equally as bad. That in and of itself itself will destroy, you know, your opponent's argument. And then remind them of the good people who are in Slytherin. Regulus Black, Merlin, these other people, Horse Slughorn, these other characters who are good and who value ambition. I think that that will really help with your argument, right? And tell them, what is it that makes somebody a Slytherin? It's their ambition. It's their cunningness. And that's all that that really I think people need to know about what it means to be a Slytherin and why people should be proud to be a Slytherin. Love it. I'm coming um, at defending Slytherin ultimately because my partner um, is a Slytherin and he's the best person I know. Thank you. And... Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I ship it. Joking. <laughs> No, it's it's fine. I I ship it too. Um, no, but like genuinely speaking, he's so smart, and I see so many of those attributes in sort of how hardworking he is. I think that Slytherins don't get enough credit for how hardworking they are. Damn I know right. Hardworking. Hardworking is supposed to be a Hufflepuff trait, and I very much think that it is, but. Just like you're not you're not born any one thing. Um, you're not born cunning, right? That's a skill that you have to develop over time. And it requires a lot of focus and a lot of effort in order to get there. And I just don't think that Slytherins get enough credit for that. Um, so I just look at anyone I know who, like Andrew, you said you run your own business. Um, or anyone who just creates anything. And I very much see that as a Slytherin trait, a very positive one. Um, so don't let the past define what you allow your house to stand for in the future, is what I would say. Heck yeah. Amen. I think you all make great points. Uh, you're not going to... Come on. <laughs> oh, no, one no, good no. thing. I, I said plenty of good things when we were discussing all these characters, but um, I, I wouldn't necessarily label individuals based upon the story. I think this is something that Tyler had brought up earlier. Like, Look at the qualities of the house and 
you know, if you were to just take away Slytherin, Ravenclaw, Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, and just look at the qualities themselves, I think those are qualities you'd probably want within yourself. Um, a lot of which have already been touched on, like ambition and cunning, and and so I think if that was any advice that I could give, that that is what I have to say. Like remove the labels and just look at the characteristics of the house, and you find that you probably might have some things in common with uh, your Slytherin uh, counterparts. Yep. I definitely, definitely do. So on our social media channels, we also asked listeners to send in their things, their supportive messages about Slytherins, and we got a bunch. Um, if you have any defenses of Hufflepuff or Slytherin, by the way, feel free to reply to our posts that we made on social media, and we'll try to include those in a future Muggle Mail episode or maybe on the Hufflepuff discussion next week. Coolberry said, I'm a Slytherin and my sister is a Hufflepuff and we are great travel buddies because I have all the street smarts that come from having more cunning and she has all the friendliness that helps us get into places. <laughs> That's, That's good. That's smart. Luna LeClaire said, I think Slytherins are very perceptive about the people, places, and events around them and can read whether or not to engage with the situation. The Slytherins I've met can easily read emotions and behaviors and know and know how to help those they are loyal to. They also appear able to influence a situation to turn in their favor or their group's favor more easily than some of the other houses. Manipulation of a situation is not necessarily a bad thing and can help de-escalate or improve whatever is happening. I might not always see that from the books, but I definitely see that in my personal life and in fandom. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Getting back to my point earlier, it's about your role in the fandom. It's, It's about who you are in real life. Sophia says, everyone says that Slytherins run away because they're scared. They quit things or get other people to do them because they're just lazy or scared. I say it's because Slytherins are smart enough to know when it's not worth doing anymore. And we stop because it's the right thing to do, not out of fear. You like that, Tyler? Oh, I'm here for that. Yeah. Except the Battle of Hogwarts. <laughs> we know, you might have we know when to quit. <laughs> we know when to move on. Yeah. <laughs> Malilek, hopefully we're pronouncing your name right. Please let us know if we didn't. I That's a pet peeve of mine. I think all the non-racist Slytherins got killed off or forced into hiding like Slughorn during the first Voldy War, and that's why we don't see any in Harry's generation. I like that. Oh, or yeah. ambition enough to be worrying about other things and cunning enough to hide away and help in ways we can't see. Like Snape? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. 100%. Megan Moon said, as a Slytherin, I pride myself on being clever and tend to be able to work myself out of any sticky situation. Rose says, Slytherin is a proud house. We strive to achieve greatness. Slytherins can be unstoppable forces when pursuing our ambitions. Slytherins don't always play by the rules because we're goal-oriented, but generally we strive for improvement and progress and the pride that comes with it. Rules that get in the way of our objective are like roadblocks to us, but we're resourceful and cunning to find ways around them. Of course, Slytherins are proud to have magical blood because magical abilities facilitate us greatly. However, a true Slytherin shouldn't discount non-magical folk because anyone with vision and determination can lead a prosperous and affluential life. Well said. That is our defense and analysis of the Slytherin house. 
If you have any feedback today, you can email MuggleCast at gmail.com or use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. You can also call us, one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. You can also record a voice memo on your phone and send that to MuggleCast at gmail.com. Just try to keep your message about a minute long, please. And we may include that on a future Muggle Mail episode, probably coming up in two or three weeks. All right. Well, Eric is not here. Like I said, he abstained because he can't stand Slytherins. But it is still <laughs> time for Quizich. Last week's Quizich question was, As of the late 20th century, Tina Goldstein lived with her husband, Newt Scamander, in Dorset with their pet measles. What were their pet's names? And the correct answer to that question was Hoppy, Millie, and Mauler. Last week's winners included Newt and Tina Forever, Snitch 101 Laura Fan, (laughs) (laughs) Amazing Autism, The Real Slim Shady, Countess Vermicelli, Michaela, Aberforth's second favorite goat, and the toy car you lost under your bed when you were six wants to order an extra large fire whiskey. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I know. Right, Tyler? Right? (laughs) We need to put a character limit on, on this form. No, yeah. no, I love it. We get some real winners in here. Yeah, um, we do. I'm disappointed. No Count Ravioli this week. Oh, they got it or, wrong. Where are you at? Countess Fettuccini. Yeah, where's Countess Fettuccini? <laughs> Countess Vermicelli is in here. What more do you want? True. That's true. All right. Next week's question. What living creature are both Marvolo Gaunt and Salazar Slytherin compared to in appearance? So very appropriate for our Defense of Slytherin episode. I love this Awesome. One. Good job, Micah. Couple closing reminders before we wrap up the show. Don't forget to join our community of MuggleCast fans today at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Sign up now before September 1st. And you will be eligible to receive this year's physical gift, whichever you choose. By the way, y'all, I received a couple samples of the socks a couple days ago, and they turned out perfect. They look so good. Yeah, yeah. I've been meaning to post a picture on social media. I had my sister model the socks on her legs, because my legs and my brother's legs, a little too hairy, you know? For a leg model, you know? So anyway, you'll see those pictures soon. Check out my sister's legs on our social media. Nobody's going to believe that it's your sister now. We're all going to think it's you. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with hairy legs. No, I I just, yeah, I don't know. It grossed me out a little bit. Um, And I'm talking about (laughs) my own. It shouldn't. So anyway, you'll see these socks on the social media channels, and uh, we also have the the car as well. So two options this year to choose from. If you pledge at the Slug Club level, you can pick uh, either or or both. You'll also receive instant access to years of bonus MuggleCast installments, our exclusive Facebook group where fellow Harry Potter fans hang out. That group is awesome. You'll receive a personalized video thank you message, all kinds of things. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Thank you, everybody, for your support. Be sure to sign up before September 1st in order to be eligible for that gift. That's very important. And you have to fill out that form. Finally, make sure you are following the show for free in whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And if they have a review feature, please do take a moment to review us. We would really appreciate that. And last but not least, do follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Tyler, thanks so much for joining us today. You are awesome. 
I am so glad we had you on the show. You can check Tyler out Same. at the Protego Foundation and also the Chick Peeps podcast, which is in between seasons right now. Uh, but coming back at some point, I don't think we want to make any promises at this point, but it might be coming back. <laughs> right. But it will return. <laughs> I think that's safe Da-da-da-da. to say. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Loved it. Awesome. And Tyler has been holding that wand the entire podcast, folks. <laughs> I love it. I need to try that now. I, I got to know how that helps with my hosting. I'm sure it'll help a little bit. It's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Whose wand is that, by the way? It's Voldemort's. <laughs> I found it to be apropos of our conversation today. I should have known. I didn't see the handle. I was because you were, you know, gripping it. Wow. Love it. Man, you came prepared. I love it. (laughs) What can I say? I really like the V. (laughs) The V. (laughs) That works. That works. And on that note. I love it. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Tyler. Bye, 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 B